Cult. Cult and classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends, to another episode of Cult and Classic Films Podcast, the podcast where we bring you two thematically linked films, one mainstream and one cult. I'm your host, film critic and comedian Nate Wyckoff, and with me here today is longtime contributor Mandy Longley. How are you doing tonight, Mandy? I'm here. You are here. You are here. <laughs> yes, we were we were we were texting before this this evening in preparation. I I expect nothing less. Mm-hmm. Um so this is part two of our Killer Reality Shows double feature. And uh, if you're listening to this when it is airing, uh, it is definitely inspired by the fact that we have another WGA strike, uh, the Writers Guild of America, as well as the SAG strike. And of course, the last Writers Guild strike is uh, what gave birth to the current rise uh, of reality TV shows because they don't have to pay a writer, a guild writer. They can have people called story editors, which uh, are not covered necessarily under the WGA. So that was their little workaround. So I'm sure this season we will get plenty of more, plenty more uh, reality shows again. But this double feature is about movies about reality shows that are deadly. So last week we worked with uh, our mainstream selection, which was uh, the Schwarzenegger vehicle, a run excuse me i'm choking here the running man from 1987 uh it is was adapted from a stephen king novel that he wrote under the pseudonym richard bachman and uh we had fun with that we both i believe recommended that uh and it was a an enjoyable semi-satirical little action flick this week we have the decidedly lesser known more cult feature death row game show also from 1987 both these films came out in the same year and they do have some definite similarities in in their their plot or their world building so this one is very much an attempt at black comedy uh as in uh you know not in the terrible 90s way that they called it urban comedy meaning uh black people uh, would go watch it was their intent this is actually a, a dark comedy rather um a, a very bleak gallows humor in fact there are a couple of gallows in this film uh and some really tasteless material as well so let's get right into it death row game show is written and directed or was written and directed in 1987 by mark piero and mark piero is not it's not the first Pirro film that we have covered on this podcast. Uh, he was also co-writer of My uh, Mom is a Werewolf with John Saxon, which we talked about way back in the day. Uh, and so we're in, we're in good territory here for, for this kind of dopey humor. Unlike My Mom's a Werewolf, this one is decidedly R uh, across the board. Uh, interestingly enough, there are lots of low-budget techniques to make this seem a little bit more, a little bit more, I would say, complete a film or professional a film, but it is still a low budget affair. This has been semi recently re released by Vinegar Syndrome on Blu ray. Uh, it is a great transfer. Everything looks as good as it probably ever did, if not better. And uh, yeah, let's let's dive in. The plot of Death Row Game Show. The plot is there is a television host of a game show where people, death row convicts, uh, go on, choose to go on, they sign a waiver, and they, it's it's live or die, I think is the name of the game show. And they have to do these crazy things, which they usually don't have all the information about. Uh, and if they live, then presumably they're freed. And if they don't, 
then they die. Uh, there's also an implication that some people, some of their families get money uh, if they perform certain tasks, such as in the opening uh, of the show where a man loses the reprieve from execution. But as he's beheaded, if his head faces up when it falls in the basket, his family gets $10,000. So it's very satirical. Everybody loves the show, except for there are people who are against it. And so they they badmouth and yell at the uh, sort of cold, somewhat heartless host, who is our main character. And uh, he is he is confronted by a, a protester, a woman, uh, and surprise, in case you haven't noticed, this is a spoiler podcast. I don't think it ruins anything to get the plot from A to Z out of the way. But if you'd rather watch this and then come back, that's fine, too. They fall in love. That's right. The protester and the host fall in love. And they have a happily ever after story in a way. But there is a, a crazy hitman with his very strange drag represented mother. Uh, there, is, there are um, goofy executions. There are uncomfortable moments of, uh, of of people of color being hung to death. This very it would not fly today. Uh, I don't know if it was on their mind at the time either. They specifically did not use the term lynching. So I, I think they must have been somewhat aware of it. But most people who are killed are uh, white people. So we, we can get behind that. Okay. This movie is sort of a throwback to early 80s, late 70s, cornball, porky-esque comedy movies. I mean, it, it goes... It's got a, like a very airplane feel to it. Yes, very in a lot much. Of, in a lot of cases. Yeah, the humor is... Um, there's a couple of fourth wall breaks. There's uh, There's a lot of sight gags. Um, and then there are also lots of wordplay. And we kind of got some wordplay moments, especially in My Mom's a Werewolf. But this has a lot more gags in it, whether they work or not. And I think part of that is because it was co-written um, with Mark Pirro. Um, and it was co-written uh, by a, another sort of punch-up artist, Alan Grease. Uh, he worked again with Pirro on Buford's Beach Bunnies from 1993. Uh, he also did uh worked on the movie night rhythms in 1992 pamela principle so there's they often work together but definitely someone to come in and sort of punch up the script if you don't know what a punch up writer is they're the ones that tend to add the jokes um lots of comedians work that way Patton oswalt has done a lot of punch up dialogue uh and and uh, and you know writing for for kids movies things like that so this movie is a comedy it has a skit-based element. Like everything, it's not so much a Broken Lizard production like Super Troopers where everything feels really segmented. It does have an overarching plot that moves, but because they're taping multiple shows and it goes from the host's like day life back to the studio, back to the day life, back to the studio several times, uh, it feels, it felt to me sort of like a work week, which is like, I guess the intent. Uh, so the movie is not extremely long it's about an i think an hour and 45 ish minutes an hour it's actually shorter an hour and 23 minutes i guess that says something about uh the content mandy my understanding is is you actually couldn't finish this movie is that correct that is true that is true i got about two-thirds of the way through saw that there was like another 40 minutes to go and i was like i'm done 
I'm tapping out. That happens so rarely. And we watch some really like yeah. ball type movies. And I generally make it through all the way. Or I just choose to pass. I'm just like, oh, I'm just gonna pass, whatever. But like it is very rare that I duck out like mid-movie. And this one <laughs> was definitely like I'm hoping maybe you'll convince me to go back and watch the rest of it later through what you tell me happens at the end. <laughs> <laughs> um and like remember a couple other movies in my life that were like that one of them um was uh house of sand and fog yeah very depressing really, based on andrew dubois really yeah like a real downer um really well filmed really well acted uh and quite a like really kind of a compelling drama story like kind of more of the real american story than the american dream we often get right uh and yeah that one i had to stop midway and i went back to it i think like a few days to a week later to finish it and i was glad that i did but like it kind of still haunts me <laughs> this right. is like sort of way at the other end of the spectrum like it's clearly a funny movie like right like i said like it's very it has very like airplane-esque vibes yeah. for me um just in the way that they set up the jokes or they do the gags they kind of almost like pause and they're like yes do a gag now uh, and then they're like, yes here's the gag did you like the gag? And then they like kind of pause to like. It's kind of like a gag. weird so, adult, less well acted. And I'm not shaming anyone. I think the acting was okay the, across the, the board. Some people value were better. It was really, really good for for a very low budget film that they had. Yeah, for the budget that they had, it was very, um, very good production. It value. reminded me of like the Amanda Show with Amanda Bynes okay. in a way. Yep. Like because it's kind of skit based, like I said, but it's also like you said. There's this pause. They're playing to camera all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, especially because our lead character is a TV host and he's yeah. he's directly playing to you uh, yes. as though he's he's hosting a show. And, and so it's 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 a little bit of it reminded me in some ways of um, the sequel to Rocky Horror uh, by Richard O'Brien shock treatment because it's like a TV station show. But one, it's definitely funnier than that. Uh, two. It's they they they're not really afraid to be uh disrespectful in this movie and i think that that's kind of in its favor because if you're having a satire about a tv show where people get killed for ratings um mm -hmm. you it it kind of has to be tongue in cheek even the running man was somewhat tongue in cheek right um i think the one of the differences besides the tone the running man is an action film right uh, and and Death Row Game Show is, it's a comedy. Uh, it's it's an uneven comedy, I would say, but it is a comedy. And th as you said, the sight gag or the gags in general, they're set up in such a way that like the there's one where the reason the game show host is being hunted by killers is because he uh, he had on his show a death row convict who is a mob boss. And the mob boss, the the thing he had to do to survive is he was naked with like an electroshock thing, uh, basically an electric chair thing attached to uh, a cod piece. And if he became aroused, his his genitals would set off the electrocution. And so they had they had um, the the character, which we'll talk about, um, Shauna Shallow, I believe, uh, do the dance of the seven boners, I think is what it's called. And, uh, and yes, and, and he makes it through, he does not get an erection and 
our lead character, the host, comes to congratulate him and puts his hand on his shoulder, at which point the older gentleman has an erection and, and is electrocuted to death. So that's like the the kind of jokes that tend to be here, right? The the gotcha jokes that are they're corny. Um, but you know, there's a few. There's a few in there that genuinely had me laughing, actually, because the writing, and this is the same thing I had about my mom's a werewolf. The delivery wasn't always enough to carry it or maybe even some of the cuts and editing didn't really hit the beat right but on the page there was a solid joke there um there's also a lot of just really tongue-in-cheek material like in the beginning we see you know this 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 father get killed by a guillotine and his family wins money and they're ecstatic by the way because they won ten thousand dollars uh even though their 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 father is dead and we see our host driving home at which point people are yelling at him he has hate you know hate picketers outside and the picketers say things like um uh i think his character's name is chuck right um is his the people are saying having signs like chuck should have been aborted um you know these these really outlandish outlandish things um john mccafferty by the way plays chuck uh it, it's and he's he's still i think acting uh as it recently he's been in many many movies um lots of mark piro movies but lots of other movies as well including sex court the movie from 2001 i just like to say that one out but chuck has all these people yelling at him and one of the people yelling at him is this like old cabbie driver kind of style guy who leans out his window and is like hey you pervert i've watched your show for two years and you're disgusting <laughs> yeah the you know and of course the irony is he's watched it for two years and it's disgusting like and and you know and then chuck rolls up he's got a convertible and the top's down but he still rolls up his window and his window has taped on it uh like blow it out your ass or something like that like it's just, it's a stupid, mildly dirty comedy. Um, there's, there are commercials like product placements within the game show segments where convicts are killed uh, and in sort of gruesomely funny ways sometimes. Like uh, it's, I guess it's a co-host or a segment host of the show is like, um, this is convict and they just refer to them by their number, which is actually probably the way it would actually be done you know i mean that's the nazis did that for a reason it's a very easy way to dehumanize someone is to take their name and give them a number but in this particular commercial they're like uh, we're gonna see a convict whatever 3609 i can tell the difference between the real cheese and the artificial cheese and he gives them the cheese like this tastes good this must be the real cheese and he gives them the next one he's like it's good it's a little salty this is definitely the the fake cheese and he goes actually it's rodento the cheese flavored rat poison <laughs> and you know it's like it's just so it's gruesome but it's so silly um it just doesn't it doesn't read as particularly offensive to me but <laughs> You know, I'm sure that no, there. It's just like I was like, this is just not my brand of humor. Like they, yeah, it was. I mean, I guess it was like dark humor, but done in a very light way. Like it's just yeah. so goofy. It's a um, stupid comedy. It's like it's so not smart. Stupid. It is just um, like yeah. It you know it's sophomoric it, is what yeah. it would be called. It's it's not like going to watch like it's not like Hostel where they're like I mean mm. like, that's not a comedy, but it's just like super. Gross, painful to watch yeah painful 
disgusting horror stuff. Green like Inferno, death, yeah, something right? like that. Yeah, so this is like death every 30 seconds, but it is a goofball movie. I don't know, maybe it was just like my mood for the day. I was just like, these don't go together for me. Like, I'm not digging it. <laughs> like, I had to step away before they kill grandma. Like, yeah, yeah. Just... <laughs> so, so, and that is, so basically uh, the sort of plot comes to to a head when all the characters are introduced, which are really just, you know, the the mobster, which is killed, you know, in a flashback, um, the the host, Chuck, um, the the woman who is against him, uh, who is uh, uh, her her stage name is Gloria Stern Virgin, uh, which yeah. is, you know, there you can kind of tell how how oh, I did love the nightmare where they had the, like, the, the David Lynchian kind of nightmare. <laughs> Yes, yes that was that was fantastic i'm glad i stayed that long and like maybe you know if i, if I go back and watch first maybe there's something you'll tell me there's another gem in there like that but the the, the nightmare where they like credit them by name like in his yes, nightmare in like, his nightmare is oh, very funny it it's very really funny and, and i like will say the this faces that he makes like yes, his he TV like has... host faces that he makes like in the so if this were to be good. remade 100 it would be jim carrey um 100 percent, i think because you know he has that capability fake him to be like 25 years old again sure um but john mccafferty definitely has an element of that sort of over the top in your face like manic showman uh that that jim carrey does so well uh i i will also say throw this out there for people who like this movie mark piero has his own sort of cinematic universe that he is he has created and in fact the the character of Gloria Stern Virgin uh, is recurring and has been in many, many Mark Perra movies. Uh, I think what was the most recent was was uh, The Deceased Won't Desist from 2021. Uh, also, it was in Rectuma, uh, which, yes, it is a it is a rectum reference. Uh, if people aren't familiar with Mark Pirro's work, um, aside from what I mentioned, which was my mom's a werewolf, which isn't the most well known by any mean, any means, uh, he he's most well known for directing a Polish vampire in Burbank from 1983. But he also did Curse of the Queer Wolf, Nudist Colony of the Dead, um, as well as Monsterd, and yes, you heard that right, and the others that we mentioned. So he's he's done quite a few movies. They are tend to be B movies, and they tend to be sort of much in the way that Corman was, they're famed for being filmed on a shoestring. Uh, in this case, as you said, Mandy, Death Row Game Show makes very good use of its its few sets, right? Like there's there's an office, there is the stage, there is outside of the studio, and then there is, I think, one set of scenes that is in um, Chuck's apartment, or his house, rather. That's it. Uh, and most almost everything is either in the office or on the stage. The And the game show stage is brilliant because it's a game show stage, so it's not supposed to look real, right? It ha We all know it has fake walls and curtains and whatnot. Uh, and it's uh, and the crowd, the the audience stands were, I think, effective. They they really only had to shoot, you know, the audience scenes, what? A couple of scenes. They probably did it in a day and didn't have to have any of those people back um it's it was smart i think it was smart the way that he did that some of the deaths many of the deaths appear off screen and the violence is it's actually quite tame on the violence because um you know 
violence on screen costs money. So it's all implied for the most part. We have uh, the, we have the actor Bino, who has been in many other projects. He's another character actor that if you don't recognize his his performer name, you'll recognize his face. Uh, he was he was he's the killer, the uh, hired killer that shows up uh, to kill Chuck uh, in in retaliation from the mob boss. But Chuck has asked him to to basically he's tried to bribe him. Right. But but Bino does not want money. Uh, Bino's character name, I believe, is Luigi. He's got a very pseudo Italian name, uh, ending name. But he he plays the, the hitman who brings his mom to the studio because his mom's favorite show is being shot at the uh, at the sound booth or, you know, the sound stage. Thank you. On the other side, across from there. So uh, in a crazy twist of events. The hitman falls in love with Gloria, uh, convinces her at gunpoint to marry him. And then the the uh, Luigi's mother uh, gets turned around. She's dressed like a convict. She thinks that the costume is funny and that they'll enjoy it. And that will get her picked on her game show, um, which makes about as much sense as anything else. And uh, and she gets turned around and finds her way to uh, live or die game show where they think she is a contestant. And she is yes eventually killed she's blown up it's a very goofy scene but it's also ridiculous uh as i said the character of the mother is played by a man um but at the same time they modulate when i first heard the voice i thought that we would she would turn around and she'd be speaking through um uh tracheotomy because it was like this very kazoo modulated voice um which would have been funny but I think what happens is happened is, is they were like, we'll just change your voice in post to make you sound more feminine. And then they found that that was a little more uh, complicated than they thought. So they just made it very high and weirdly techno. It's like a, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like a bee speaking English into a microphone. It's very weird. Uh, but yeah, so it's goofy. It's not supposed to be, clearly it was an attempt to one, add humor, but also let there be levity with the fact that they're going to accidentally blow up this man's mother uh and he's going to find out at which point the guy goes ballistic and they try to kill him by dressing him like a convict and having him put on the show spoiler alert he comes back to life uh he wasn't quite dead in asphyxiation trap and uh there's a <laughs> there's a a side character that we see several times who is such a fan of the show that he keeps accosting chuck when he on his way into the studio to ask if he can be on the show but he's not a felon and he's not on death row so he can't do it well when our hero and heroine are about to be killed by the resuscitated uh luigi hitman uh this crazy character from outside comes in and shoots him and is like now i can go on death row and of course you know he doesn't and there's 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 more death that follows but our heroes I'm using that term in air quotes here. Our heroes do leave and quit the show and seem to have a happy life. The sort of tag on the end is that Chuck is like, what am I supposed to do with a room full of dead bodies of all these executed people, which apparently are his rather than the studios or, or the government? I don't know. Uh, and so over the credits, we get a series of infomercials where he uses the corpses 
to do things like show how strong a Climax watch is, uh, show the effectiveness of a wood chipper. Um, my favorite was uh, showing how the these new unbreakable glasses don't break. And so he has two people next to him and he smashes one against the table and the glasses are broken and he smashes the other one like six times. And then I'm like, it's ridiculous. It's, it's not particularly gruesome. It's just uh, more of a, it's more slapstick. Uh, but it's, I actually appreciate that the ending, the it, it becomes a stronger satire for me because the ending doesn't have him get his comeuppance, right? Because if he really got his comeuppance, it would be sort of a morality play. But what it becomes instead when you think he's sort of realized the the error of his ways, I guess, and then instead he's just found another way to be sort of exploitative of these people even now that they're dead uh it's sort of a, a play on the fact that i think we do love that kind of assholishness in this country there's some sort of charismatic draw which i mean i'm not even going to go into our, our present past presidential system uh here in the united states but it's very clear what's at play uh but it's it goes back to the whole concept that you know life is cheap but characters are are where it's at and this guy's definitely a character and and because of that it ends up being more of a satire than i think it might even deserve to be given the rest of the film uh that said the final half of the film when the actual plot really comes into play is i think the least effective uh and that's because we get more plot more acting more scenes that move the plot forward versus these goofy skits that sort of you know uh, uh children and a mom screaming hooray 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 when their husband is beheaded because he just happens to have his head land the right way up so they win a bunch of money like that's where it's at its strongest and unfortunately that's not a plot right that's just a, a a scene a device to sort of world build and also make us feel a little cringe at the uh the idea of it this movie i i don't totally know mark piero's background at this time but much of the crowd scenes uh the people were were tour guides or former tour guides for universal studios um there's uh, I, I imagine there are a fair number of recognizable actors uh, in the back in the background in the audience, especially because they look they look like actors, most of them, uh, or at least a good number of them. They and anyone who who knows what I'm talking about, if you looked at a real cast of people in, say, um, a Ricky Lake crowd, right, or, or some sort of from daytime talk show crowd, you get they they tend to put specific people up front, but you can see real people with their unkempt hair or their bad fashion choices whatever in in there too in this we don't get as much of that we have a lot of people who probably you know live and work in la and uh so that was interesting there's also there are a fair number of of decent cast members in here um i as i mentioned bino uh mentioned um our, our lead um but by John McCafferty, uh, Robin Blythe plays Gloria Stern Virgin. As I said, she does that 
uh, all the way up until 2021. She's she's continued to return to that character. She's done a lot of TV work. Um, she was all the way back to the 70s, the Brady Bunch Variety Hour. She had a bit part on Charlie's Angels. Um, she she was even in the background in Death Wish, and she did a couple of um, scenes in a, a Alice Cooper's videos and concert uh, his his TV appearance concerts. They were concerts intermixed with like show segments. Uh, so she's she did a lot as well and still continuing to do it. Uh, I definitely want to mention who I think is my favorite character out of this, which is uh, Deborah Lamb's character of, of what is it, Shauna Shallow. Shauna Shallow is kind of hilarious. She's the Vanna White of the film. And how would you even describe it she's she's like a vanna white but she's just eye candy and clearly is there's no brain like or she just has turned it off because in one scene she does the dance of the seven boners right which is a strip tease to try and arouse this old man in a chair uh to his death and then she comes out and she you know waves to the prizes etc and then she also comes out in a a uh, strapless dress when they release what is the most troubling to me scene, but I think you might have missed this part. There's a a, a very tall black man in in you know a prisoner who's been in solitary confinement. I think they said for 15 years, and the he's not actually on competition or like they're not going to execute him. But what he is is he's basically the rat in the in the maze, and they're like we have he he's only eaten bread and Twinkies for 15 years, and he hasn't seen a woman in 15 years. So they put. They put Shauna Shallow in a sexy dress next to a roasted turkey. And they're like, if he goes to the, he either is going to go to the food or the woman, the, the, the hunger or the lust. And three convicts had to pick what she was going to. And if they were right, they'd be pardoned. And if they weren't, then a sandbag would be dropped on their head and they'd be killed. Well, in what is one of the best, but also most upsetting jokes it, he comes out and he goes between them and he goes between them and the whole time Shauna's not horrified she's just smiling like I'm gonna be like I'm the sexy you know what this is what I am like just unfazed by the entire show uh and at which point the man finally chooses and he grabs the turkey and starts having sex with it uh it is it is I mean it was funny I, I had to give it to them it was the right kind of yeah you know subversion I, sure did they have to call in the judges to like and or just yeah, they, that everyone they, died because it's that it's them. that moment when uh when bino uh luigi burst back onto the scene so uh we actually we actually don't see the result but we okay. do have the convict having sex with the turkey in the background for the rest <laughs> of that entire scene including when the shootout it's been goes 15 on. years i'm sure yes yeah. and uh and it was and it was it was very funny uh and <laughs> It's just it's it was terrible. It was very funny. It was a very South Park move, and I appreciated mm -hmm. that. I I think this is elevated above what it actually is for me for two reasons. One, I like the satire, and I do think some of the humor, especially on paper, even if it didn't tackle it, even if it didn't hit the spot perfectly on execution, there was there were enough funny beats that if I had been given the script, uh, I would have said, okay, sure, let's try it. Um but there are moments that are just not as i think the pacing was more of an issue for me um even when all the jokes didn't hit that's fine it's only an hour and 23 minute movie and i shouldn't feel like there's a divide in the middle between the pace um with that said 
I also think the cast did a pretty good job. I saw in reading other reviews and other critical reviews, I saw a lot of the cast getting sort of hit with bad acting. I actually didn't find that. We watch a lot of, of really low budget films here and you can tell when people are not actors and they're acting. I think everyone in this, to some extent, was an actor. Uh, they consider themselves an actor. Uh, some of it's stilted, maybe. I think more it has to do with the editing versus the actual uh, the cast. Because you know, if you've ever tried to edit anything, when you add one, you keep it one beat too long, one half second too long, you can tell. The audience can see it because it feels like either they're waiting to deliver a line or they're waiting to hear a cut after they've delivered a line. So that kind of comes into play here and there and makes it seem less um, less well acted than I think it actually is. So I think the cast does elevate it. And I think the satire element that I mentioned does elevate it. In that way, it's very much a, if you took the satire of RoboCop, but took all of the excellent special effects, Peter Weller, um, the stuff that's really highbrow in there amongst the satire, if you took that out, this is the kind of satire, you know, like the car defense system that electrocutes the criminal when he grabs the door handle into a crisp. Like that's the sort of humor we're getting here. Uh, and it's also the kind of satire. It's very heavy handed. Uh, it's also reminds me very much of, to a less gory degree, but very much the style of trauma in the first Toxic Avenger film where the villains uh, hit, a, hit a kid and then back over him so it runs over his head. And then they're like, let's go do this. And the guy's like, nah, I gotta go. I gotta go to church in the morning. Like that's the kind of humor. It's so like over the top, ridiculously terrible. And then like it's played for one dumb pun or one dumb, you know, single joke. And sometimes that works. Sometimes it just, you're like, okay, let's move it on. Let's pull the next one. There's also some nudity in this film. So I'm sure that sold it on some level. There are several topless scenes of, of women and, uh, yeah, so that kind of is what I think most trash cinema people look for. Is it is it subversive? Is it uh, physically watchable? And can you hear everything? Does it have a joke or two, especially tasteless jokes? And is there any nudity? It does have all of those things. That said, it feels 20 minutes longer than it really is. Uh, I will give it that. So I guess we can move into recommendations. I, I think I know, I think I know what yours is going to be, but uh, I, let's, let's go ahead with it. Mandy, would you recommend 1987's Death Row Game Show? If so, why and to who, or why not? And to who not? Uh, uh, in general, no. I, I guess maybe people, if you have like this particular sense of humor, like, uh, I, I don't know, like it, it just seems very it's just off for me it just doesn't work for me i'm sure it works for a lot of people and it is quite consistent through the whole like of what i watched of it uh so it's, you know it's not like sort of jarring like back and forth yeah. between like different styles or like different paces mm -hmm. like it's it's pretty consistent in that way so like if it's your style of humor if this sounds like it would have entertained you then i suppose that's right you know go go watch it i highly recommend the um the nightmare scene i thought that was hilarious <laughs> and it's and it's credited at the opening for being uh directed by uh david uh blinch instead yes. of david lynch and it's very much yeah. a, a very much a david lynch eraser head kind of homage um, yeah, yeah. I wonder I if think, like you can find that separately on YouTube or something. Is like just I'm that, sure you that can. little I, that little bit. Yeah. So I would you know uh, I go go check that because that's I mean that's pretty funny it's, it's, as far it's as like the had, levels, the very meta <laughs> like multi level. Yeah. 
it's titled as Chuck's Nightmare, so I'm, you yeah. might be able to pull that up specifically. Yeah. Um, uh, but I yeah, think... otherwise, otherwise, you know, I don't know. I would give this one a pass. Yeah, well, I think that that's fair because actually, I, I, you know, when we do these movies, I do a lot of checking on the aggregates and the critic ratings and the critics reviews from the past and this is one of those movies that it's almost a solid five out of ten across mm-hmm. anything when you when you take out the really strong yay or nay outliers yeah. uh and in that way it is clearly a very divisive film because it's not everybody rating it five it's some fives but mostly ones or tens mm-hmm. and i think that that's probably pretty telling of a of a kind of movie that is either your cup of tea or not your cup of tea um i'm gonna be honest it probably helped. I was not expecting much going in because I hadn't seen this before, but um, I did know of its its pedigree, let's say, mm-hmm. uh, amongst the cult community, where it came from, um, what it was considered. Uh, it was a crown picture. It was considered by many to be their worst film. Uh, I don't think that's true because I've watched a lot of their movies and that is silly. Uh, there are some unwatchable films. But this one, because I wasn't expecting much probably, but also I, I think if you've ever seen a Mark Pirro movie, personally i haven't seen all of them but i've seen i would say a great number of his films i think this is my favorite so far uh because as you said and and it's true the tone is consistent i didn't have any moment where i didn't know what kind of movie i was watching and they made it clear from minute one i mean minute one right uh it's goofy it's very inappropriate um and they don't shy they don't shy away from things like cursing but neither is it like ever present you know we hear someone hear someone throw f-bombs around or whatever uh within the first five minutes and okay so we know that's there it's not like there's a you know shock it's not the the f-word in the pg-13 teen movie you know where you're like it's like really punctuates the moment no we know that this is the world we're shown that they're uh they're gonna show us breasts fairly quickly um and okay everything's on the table and they just go with it and they stay in that lane I would recommend it if that sounds up your alley. Uh, I think if you, if you're someone who already has watched other films that have been re-released by Vinegar Syndrome, you know what to expect, right? Like you're you're going to get a, a a trash exploitation cult film, and that's what this is. Uh, I think it's a very tame film if you're actually looking for exploitation. It is not really an exploitation film in that way. It's more a solid raunchy R comedy, as as Mandy said. It's very much airplane porkies maybe a little um kentucky fried movie although that's much more skit based that sort of thing uh it's don't expect anything really brilliant actually probably are some clever things in there uh but don't expect that and just go in and you'll actually be pleasantly surprised that there is some satirical depth if the characters don't have depth uh so yeah but if those things if you don't like those things uh if if you have no desire to see like bad puns basically if there's a movie that you love from your youth like stripes or something where you watch it and you're like oh this wouldn't really fly now like i i don't think my nephew who i'm forcing to watch this is going to enjoy this in the way i thought they would that's this kind of movie uh this movie is not one that i think people new to the idea of raunchy comedies would enjoy and it certainly would not be made in the way it was today it would be neutered to a great extent. And also we would be more aware of things like actually sexism, racism, things that I don't think were quite on the table in this, in the way that they would do it, that we would do it now with our understanding of how uh, everyone, but white men who are straight have it in this country. Uh, so anyway, 
that is it for this episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Thank you so much, Mandy, for being here. Thank you all for listening. Please go ahead and uh, rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Helps other people find us. Go to our website, coltonclassicfilms.com. Sign up for our newsletter. It's coming out soon, and it's going to have lots of fun stuff, movie reviews, re uh, recommendations for things like zines, comics, whatever. Plus, we've still got some really big news in the pipeline. I can tell you that August 1st of 2023, we will have a a big, big, big reveal for Colton Classic Films. And I'm very excited for it. And I, I think you will be too. So please go ahead and sign up for that newsletter, rate and review us. And to play us out as always is The Chud with All About Evil. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.